Hi, this is Alyssa McNamara-Reed, and I will be your host for the next two hours. Allow me to introduce myself. I am a certified financial planner practitioner and an investment advisor. I am co-owner of McNamara Financial Services, Inc. in Marshfield, Massachusetts. McNamara Financial is a federally registered investment advisor, and by my definition anyway, is a true family business. We work with clients like you every day, regular people that need help making sound financial decisions or people that want one less thing to worry about. I work with clients for a fee based on assets that I manage or an hourly or flat fee for creating financial plans. I am not compensated via commissions unless I have the pleasure of helping someone with their insurance needs. There are some things worth paying for and perhaps a lifetime of financial security is one of them. I of course cannot guarantee that working with me will ensure a secure financial future. McNamara on Money has been a call-in talk radio show since 1990. I love hearing from listeners and there truly are no dumb questions. In fact, I like the simple questions because everyone should have the answer to those. Just don't call me asking for the next hot investment or which market is going to outperform this year. Number one, that's not the nature of this show. And number two, I have no idea. Any advice I give to a caller is meant to be generic in nature and should be verified with his or her own financial professionals. You will hear about a variety of topics on this show that relate to investments and personal finance. We try to cover topics that people can relate to regardless of their net worth or financial situation. And of course, we try to keep it interesting. I would crunch numbers for two hours or spreadsheet cash flows because I'm a total math nerd, but that wouldn't much make for good radio. Instead, I choose to educate people on topics surrounding big financial events in life, like marriage and divorce, kids in college, death of a loved one, career changes, and of course, retirement. I once heard that it is a smart man that knows what he doesn't know. I'm sure it was my dad that said that, and I'm also sure that it applies to women. That is why I invite guests onto my show that have expertise in different areas also related to personal finance. I feel it's important to note that the opinions of these professionals are not necessarily the opinions of McNamara Financial or any of its advisors. As long as we are on the subject of disclosure, I should note that while we may discuss investments and or markets on this show, that past performance is not indicative of future results. Thanks for tuning in. Alrighty, we're back. This is 95.9 FM, WATD in Marshfield. My name is Mike McNamara. This is McNamara on Money, the South Shore's very own financial talk radio show. The subject for today is reverse mortgages. I'm talking with reverse mortgage specialist David Tortolot from Homestead Mortgage. Our telephone number, 781-837-4900. And before we get back to the heart of the matter, a couple of quick announcements. So next Saturday, a week from from today, uh, my myself and my son Justin, vice president in charge of investments at McNamara Financial, we're going to have kind of an open-ended show uh, on investments in general, uh, big picture stuff that uh, people have questions about or concerns. We promise we won't get into too much detail or uh, that, that gets kind of boring. But everybody out there has 401ks. They have questions about their what they do with them. There's all, all kinds of uh, investment-related issues out there these days. And so Justin and I are going to kind of bounce around on a bunch of different investment topics. And I'm pretty sure there's more than two or three of them that might have some interest for you. So that's next week. And then on April 6th, our annual Social Security Show. Social Security expert Kurt Zarnowski will be in studio with Kirk Reed my son-in-law taking your calls and answering your questions, including what's new in 2019 for Social Security. By the way, that April 6th show is sort of a lead-in to 
our Social Security seminar. So this is a save the date kind of a thing, folks. McNamara Financial Services annual Social Security seminar with Kurt Zarnowski will be held on Tuesday, April 30th at 6.30 p.m. at the Cask and Flagon on Plain Street in Marshfield. Call our office at 781-834-2010 to register early. Registration information will be on our website April 1st, so pretty soon about that, but save the date. Okay, folks, uh, I'm talking with David Tortolot, a friend that goes back many years. He's been on the show on a pretty regular basis, and the subject is reverse mortgages, and uh, you're still there, right, David? I am here, Mike. That's a good thing. Uh, Folks, so we're going to start talking about some particular uses for reverse mortgage. Uh, let's forget the details and get down to what problems they might solve for you, and we can kind of back into your questions from there. And again, we'd love to hear from you, 781-837-4900. I jotted down 11 uses. Okay, I'm sure you have a few more. So, uh, hello, David, can you hear me? I can hear you. Okay, I've got a little scratch in my line. Do you have scratch in yours or no? I don't, but we uh, Tim just alerted me we have a caller. Okay. So. Well, okay. Uh, Tim, I've got some fuzz in my... It's the phone call, Mike. Okay. All right, so... Yeah, I hear that too now, Mike. So Jeff from Hanover. All right, David, why don't you take his call and I'll listen because I'm okay. a little fuzzy. Jeff from Hanover, go ahead. This is David. Hi, David. Um, actually, I have a couple of questions on this reverse mortgage. Now, is it, is it amortized over a certain number of years when, once you apply? I mean, say I'm, I'm 55, so when, when you apply, do you, do you give a specified number of years that you're amortizing over for, your, for the loan, for the reverse mortgage? You have to be 62 or older to um, qualify. That's the minimum age, Jeff. But um, when you take the loan out, Basically, the loan is paid back when you're no longer living in the house. So it, it's not, it doesn't expire at a certain time, but it does, um, whatever you borrow, um, you pay back. Or, or, I'm sorry, it gets, gets deferred. Um, the interest defers on what you borrow, and you pay that back when you sell the house. Was that is that your question? I'm trying to. Oh, see, so no, no amortization schedule would all involve with this at all. Oh yeah, no, it's like an no, there's it's like an equity line of credit, basically, right? Yeah, there is an amortization schedule. So essentially, when if I met with a client, I would show them how much they can borrow as an estimate, and then we could amortize what they're borrowing out, yeah, 20, 30 years. I can show them, give, give them an illustration as to what it would look like out then. I guess that was your question. I'm sorry, Jeff. No, no, no problem. I, I just was curious because obviously like a 20 year amortization is different than a 30 year. Of course. Uh, is, is what you're paying for interest up front. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm just curious how that, how that works. Do you, do you don't like assume a certain number of years to do this? No, um, we, we give someone basically based on age 62, our, our amortization illustration will go out to them being age 95 or 100. Uh, if they're okay. 80, they'll only have you know 15 years left on the amortization schedule. If they're 62, they'll have 30 plus years left on the amortization schedule. So give them every subsequent year as an illustration what they would owe as deferred interest all the way up to age 95 to 100. Uh, so every client would get an amortization schedule, but it would be based more on their age and how much time they have left uh, to live, I guess, so to speak, on the amortization schedule. I, I get that. Thank you. That's, that's exactly my question. And then the other, the only other question I have was, um, so is it, is it a monthly premium that, that, that you get? Like, if I signed up, would I get a lump sum or would I get a, a, 
it's just like it basically it's, it's like a it's like, it's like a home equity loan where it's like three hundred thousand dollars sitting in a, in a bank and, and I get to use it as I want. Is that how that works? Yes, very much like a home equity line. Now, if you're taking out this mortgage and you have mortgages on your property, we have to satisfy those mortgages first with the money, and then whatever's left after that would just be set up in a line of credit. Follow me on that. But if you have no mortgages on your property, you're essentially just setting up a line of credit uh, unused, and you borrow it as you need it. It has to be your primary residence, because I, I do have a rental property. Yes. And I, I couldn't use that, right? Yeah, it has no. to be. It's against your primary home only. You have to. So the, the basic criteria is you have to be 62 or older. It has to be a primary home. And I would say roughly on average, you have to, about, have, to have about 50% equity built up in the house. So you, you don't have to be mortgage-free, but you have to have at least about 50% equity in the property after any liens that you have on it currently. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, uh, that really is my, those are my two questions, and uh, you answered them perfectly. Thank you very much. Thanks, Jeff, for calling. All right, thanks. Hey, 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 David. Yes. Uh, re- re- real quickly, he raised a good question. Um, so one of the changes that they kind of made when they tightened up reverse mortgages is that they actually added some underwriting requirements because they didn't have any of those before. Could you just take a couple and explain that before we get into some of the uses? Yeah, what you're referring to is what HUD calls financial assessment. All that really means is we look at income and credit now. Yeah. Uh, prior to 2015, well, 1989 to 2015, we looked at age and equity. Uh, we never looked at income and we never looked at uh, credit. And that was a HUD guideline. That wasn't a bank guideline. So what happened was, Mike, and what caused them to come up with these new guidelines is folks that were, I don't want to call them desperate, or maybe they just had low pretty, income. Pretty, pretty close. Yeah, yeah, they were desperate borrowers uh, were doing these and there wasn't any guidelines in place to underwrite them income-wise or credit-wise. And what would happen is they would set these reverse mortgages up, go through the money very quickly, and then it would put them in a position where they've used up their reverse mortgage money. They don't have to sell the house and move out as long as they're paying their taxes and insurance on the property. Um, Then the bills were coming in and they had to pay those bills with their fixed income again. And what they were doing is falling behind on property taxes and insurance. And the percentage really, when this really came to a halt, was about 10% of borrowers that took out reverse mortgages were in default on their property taxes and homeowners insurance. So in the, in this world, Mike, the banks, HUD does not allow any liens to show up on the title after they do the reverse mortgage. So the banks would have to de- have to pay those bills for the borrower. You know, if they missed a yep. quarterly tax bill, they'd have to pay it and then call the borrower and make it work out a payment plan with them. So the banks put a lot of pressure on HUD and said, hey, listen, we should be looking at income because not every borrower should qualify for a reverse if their income's very low. Because it just yeah, can't, can't help everybody. There are some people that just yeah. unfortunately can't be helped. I so mean, now what yeah. we do is when we sit down with a client is we look at their income. And really, it's just to keep it really simple, we take their monthly income. We back out their property-related charges like property taxes, homeowners insurance, flood and upkeep. Yeah, and utility. There's a utility charge that HUD has we put in place. So we back that math out of their monthly income, their Social Security, whatever it is. And HUD just says they need to have a certain dollar amount left over for them to qualify for getting this loan. And then the next thing we look at is a two-year window. So we back up from March 
2019 to March 2017, and we look on the credit report to see if there's been any derogatories, uh, bankruptcies, you know, uh, late mortgage payments, and they do allow for some things and some late payments. So now we do look at income and credit, but it's not like we're looking at income and credit on a uh, traditional mortgage where they're using a debt to income ratio and the income determines how much you can borrow. It's really just to make sure HUD doesn't want seniors doing these loans for a short term period. They want it to serve them longer term. Yeah, and they want people to be able to keep up their property and pay their taxes, and and, and, and so that property maintains its value. It, you know, the, you you probably don't know this, but there are some scary parallels to the way that the the government structures college loans for parents. By the way, yes, uh, th- there are no underwriting requirements for college parent plus loans Uh, and anybody breathing can borrow the whole cost of a a year's worth of education times four and there's no no. so so they've cleaned up the reverse mortgage things maybe they'll actually do the same on a bigger problem when it comes to college loan but anyway i digress okay so the short short story is they've cleaned up their act there's going to be some defaults and that's just the way it is but hopefully going forward this is just a better product for the folks who use that. And, you know, the the other thing that occurred to me is that you can't help everybody. If somebody has a huge mortgage and no money, lending money against a house that's not worth much is is not possible. So, right. you know, when, when the government's not into helping everybody who's in, in financial difficulties on, well, fortunately or unfortunately, depending on just point of view. But the bottom line is, you know, they, they fixed some of their issues, and I'll give them credit for that. This is a good thing. You know? Yeah, and I would say that probably back in 1989, Mike, when they designed this loan, they being HUD, the policymakers <coughs> yeah. probably say, well, you know, what there's no mortgage payment on this loan so why would we need to look at income and credit (laughs) so but but a mortgage payment you know my mortgage payment is probably a third of my other costs that i have in addition to my mortgage payment just to live so you know that i think that kind of caught up to them too yeah all right so let's get started by the way folks this is a call and talk radio show if you have a question about reverse mortgages this is your special day our telephone number is 7818374900 and uh we'll take any call that has a question or comment about reverse mortgages interesting stuff we're talking about and uh we're about to kind of get into some of the uses so david there's a laundry list here Where, where would you you like to start? Let's start with, with what I believe to be the most popular way people use reverse mortgages, and that is they take out, you know, they carry a, a traditional mortgage, let's say, you know, and, and these are folks that are going into their retirement. So they have a mortgage for some reason still, and it's the payment, the ongoing fixed payment is uh, becoming burdensome. So they look at doing what's just doing a reverse mortgage. So they take the traditional mortgage they have, they refinance that into a reverse mortgage. So they still have a mortgage, but they don't have a payment anymore. So that gives them relief going into retirement so they don't have an ongoing fixed monthly mortgage payment. Um, That's one way of doing it. Another way of doing it is very similar, same concept. They refinance their traditional mortgage into a reverse mortgage, but they say, we're going to continue making the payment we were making on our traditional mortgage on this new reverse mortgage because we don't want the interest to defer and we can afford to do that. However, as we know, a reverse mortgage has no monthly mortgage payment <coughs> obligation ever. So, but you can make payments. There's just no set amount. So this gives someone the opportunity, let's say for example, we're in a good stock market. 
okay, and their the money under management is doing well, and their income's okay. They're basically refinancing into this reverse mortgage just to give them the flexibility of in the future, if markets turn for the worse, they can then start voluntarily making the payments. Or anything else bad happens. Yeah, anything else bad. It just gives them, you and I both know, you can't skip a payment whether the markets are good or bad on a traditional mortgage. Uh, you could be at risk of foreclosure. So this just it's just a, it's a, a strategy where they say, hey, let's get out of this um, regular traditional mortgage. We'll still make the payment because we don't want the interest deferring. And but if things turn for the worse, we don't have to make a payment and we can we can turn it on and off whenever we want to. So it's a good strategy in that regard. So it's either folks do it because they're never going to make a payment and they just need that extra cash flow or uh some folks do it as a strategy to say, hey, we're able to turn the faucet on or off whenever we want. And the good news with that second strategy, Mike, is that when you make payments on a reverse mortgage, what happens is it creates a line of credit balance that becomes available. So that's an interesting thing because as you pay down a reverse mortgage, whatever you just paid down now becomes available to borrow on your line of credit in the future. Okay. So, and as what that does is that builds up while they're making those payments, right? Maybe a year that follows a good stock market, they they make payments on it. So, when the stock market turns, they can stop making payments. But it, it creates a little bit of a buffer asset uh, within their house in that line of credit because they've been making payments. So that when markets turn for the worst, they have this buffer behind the scenes. Yeah, some peace of mind. Um, when, when I put on my certified financial planner practitioner hat, uh, this all makes sense that people would do that. So let me kind of give you a little background. So, sure. so uh, generically speaking, I know you're not thinking about retirement yet, probably, David. Maybe you are. But uh, g- generically speaking, on average, and by the way, there's no one size fits all, people need to reduce their retirement living expenses by some somewhere between 25 and 35% mm-hmm. to line up with their lesser income in retirement and whatever their nest egg is sort of a thing. So figure 25 to 35% reduction in expenses, okay, is like a, an average number. Well, if you take a look <laughs> at the principal and interest payment uh, uh, that people have on their mortgage, get, guess where that falls yes. for a whole lot of people? It falls within that 25 to, to 35% range. So, right. you know, go, goal number one is to not have a mortgage uh, when you retire, folks, to have it retired when you are. But but if you do, for a bunch of reasons, and many people do, ha- have a mortgage that's going to extend you know, beyond your retirement, uh, maybe you'll be able to pay it and go away, or maybe you won't. But that, that just makes so much sense. I mean, to, to get rid of the principal and interest, you're still going to pay the taxes and insurance, folks. That's but correct. The principal interest, yeah, so, so uh, for folks who aren't able to have their mortgage retired uh, when they are, and unfortunately that's becoming a, a larger percentage of retirees, uh, that, that that makes sense that it would be the biggest use for this, uh, to just to kind of line things up so people could be okay. But, you know, they, they have to remember they're going to be in that house forever because if you plan on selling it after 10 or 15 years, that accrued interest will surprise you and it might not. Mess. So really, you really, the best way to use this is to stay in the house for absolutely ever. Yes. If you're thinking you might sell it somewhere down the line, folks, yeah, I, I wouldn't go into it that way. Yeah, you okay that, with that statement, David? Yeah, or? that's a key yeah. 
question when I yeah. sit down with folks. There's two yeah. key questions I ask them. When I, the first thing I say is, why, why are we here today together? Why are you looking to a reverse? And I listen to the story, what problem they're trying to fix. And then the second thing I'll say is, do you plan on staying in this house long term? And if they say yes, I say, well, long term being forever or five, a 10 year, 15 year span of time. So the, the answer to that question is key. The other answer, the other question I ask is, do you, you know, are you hell bent on this home being your legacy to pass on to your children? Yeah. Me- oh, yeah. Meaning, yeah. meaning, yeah. do you want all of the money uh, to pass on to them, regardless of what this, what your situation is? If they say yes, I might have an opinion on it, but I respect it. And so yeah. I would say, yeah. I don't think you should do a reverse mortgage. There's too many variables. I don't know if you'll be able to have your legacy left behind. So I wouldn't consider this. And these strategies, I just like to throw this out and be upfront and honest with people. Yep. You're right. These strategies are only going to work at their maximum benefit if you plan on staying in the house long term because you got upfront costs. And again, these are expensive and you get ongoing deferred interest. Yep. So it has to be a situation where you're staying in the house long term. It can't be, oh, I'm thinking of moving in five years. Well, then forget you know, what we're talking about. Unless, of course, you're in a crisis situation. But, you know, uh, generally speaking, yes, long term. Is, yeah, is the way I, I to mean, look at these strategies we're talking about, these uses. Yep. So, and again, that, that makes perfect sense that that's probably the biggest use. So, and we've actually had some clients, we refer it to you to do that. And yep. they're, they're taking a breath given the circumstances. So, okay. Yeah. And, and the other, uh, in our business, uh, there are some people who choose to compromise their lifestyle in retirement mm-hmm. to leave their kids uh, an inheritance. Yeah, I've seen it in the past too. And, yep. and by the way, that's that's not right or wrong. Uh, you know what what we consider our responsibility is to explain that to people about what that looks like and what that would mean. And hey, you know, our job as financial planners is to give people enough information to make some decisions. Yep. And you know, you may not agree with it, but if, if that's what they want to do, uh, you know, although sometimes people don't know the, don't, even though they think they might want to do that, they, they don't know the consequences and that it, it could still come out pretty poorly. But you got to respect that decision and move on. So I understand. Yeah, yep, okay. that's exactly how I handle yeah. it. I treat everyone okay. as if they were my family and I have the yeah. same, you know, responsibility as you to do what's in their best interest and yeah. move on. Yeah. Yeah. And as far as, pay, okay, as far as paying the ongoing mortgage, I, I would assume that's a relatively small percentage of the people that you work with. Is that correct? I mean, it is, Yeah, it, it okay. is, but it, I think it's going to be a strategy that people might consider the second one we we're talking about where you say, Hey, I have a payment. We can make it. We don't want it, but we can make it, and therefore they just decide to transfer the mortgage, you know, refinance into a reverse and make the payments or not make it. Maybe they make the payments for a while. Maybe they never make one, but it gives them the flexibility. That's all. So just for someone who isn't in a cash crunch situation that just wants to have, you know, the ability, if something comes up, a life occurrence, a diagnosis where they can go, Phew, I don't have to make this payment on this mortgage. I'm glad we refinanced it versus uh, we're stuck with the payment with this one because it's a traditional mortgage. That That's really the, and you're right. I don't see many people that say I'm doing it, but that's something that's being talked about now by researchers. And uh, cause some people, they just don't buy into the fact that they don't, 
you know, how can you have a mortgage without a payment? And it's true. This one yeah, does not yeah. have a mortgage payment obligation. So it, it just gives them the ability from a cash flow standpoint, if something happens in the future, to be able to stand back and say, okay, I'm safe. I don't yeah. have to make this payment and I'm not at risk of default. That's yeah, that's right. interesting. Just when, an insurance when, thing. Yeah, when, when we craft a retirement plan for folks, uh, another thing that's popping up that's got to be a material consideration for a reverse mortgage as well is that um, people say, well, I'm going to live in the house forever. But uh, if two of their children move out of state, uh, we're seeing more and more people actually sell their retirement homes and move to be next to not necessarily their kids, but for certain their grandkids. And so you've probably seen some of that, but we, oh, yeah. we're, we're seeing more and more of that. So uh, damn it, I'm going to stay in my house till I'm dead. Well, maybe, maybe not, depending upon where your kids and your grandkids are. So that's just another factor to consider, you know, when you're thinking about doing something like this. That's Yeah. All. I mean, everybody's, yeah. in, usually when I sit down, I'll ask the question, do you intend on staying in your house long term. If they intend, yeah. and we all intend to do things, but yeah. they, things yeah. things come up. So the word intend is yeah. sort of vague. If something down yeah. the road comes up, like they're you know, missing their grandchildren, they want to sell the house and get closer to them. Yeah, yeah. Um, so okay. yeah, that's, that's that's one use. Another use, Mike, could be just folks that want to figure out a way to increase their income. So they could set up a reverse mortgage you know, this would probably be for someone who has no mortgages on their property. So we just did someone who has mortgages using a okay. reverse. Now we're using someone who has no mortgage yeah. and says, I need more income now. Yeah. By so, the way, that's that, you know, there are some people who are hell bent to pay off their mortgages by the time they retire, but they might, but they might not have a lot of money in their 401k as a result. So I know some of these people. Okay, yeah. Good. Yeah, yeah exactly. Okay. So this yeah. could be a way where they set up a reverse equity line of credit you know, a relock. And actually, I think I'll credit Alyssa with that because we were on a relock. Yeah, a relock. Because we were on a show together um, it was several years ago, and she said, "Oh, why don't they call it a relock?" And so I've, I've been calling it since that. So I have to give her credit where credit hey, is due. All right. So, um, uh, so yeah, they set up a a relock, and the money just sits there on standby and we can block out how they get money paid to them from that line of credit. Now, we can just say, hey, instead of the line of credit, can we set up what's called a 10-year payment, which is just a, it's not a lifelong payment. Uh, but vacation money for the next decade while they're healthy or yeah, something like that. It's yeah. a payment where yeah. they, do, they get paid out of their reverse mortgage loan. Um, for as long as they're living in the house and they keep the taxes and insurance current. So yeah. that's, I've just sort of threw out the disclaimer there. Yeah. As long as the home is reverse mortgage eligible, because you, your payments can stop if you go into bankruptcy after a reverse mortgage, just so people know, if you stop paying your taxes and insurance on the property. But if all of those things are current, you can set up what's called a 10-year payment, which in my opinion, Mike, it really resembles and has a lot of the same features of, you know, like a simple income annuity. Yeah. But here's the benefit. Setting up a reverse mortgage, you don't have to go to your investment portfolio, take a chunk out to start that payment. Uh, with a reverse mortgage, you basically just spend the home equity as each monthly payment comes to you every month. So you don't have to come out of pocket with a lot of money to increase your payment this way. Whereas, uh, and I don't know much about annuities, yeah. so I'm just yep. saying, you know, I, my, my understanding is you have to give a lot of money 
or some sort of a figure to a company and then they send you a monthly payment. So that reduces what you have in savings. Yeah. So this is just another way. I'm not saying one's good or better or it's just another tool. You could set up the reverse mortgage and get a monthly income payment called a tenure payment. You can also opt for a term payment. So all the difference between that is the tenure payment is a set payment for as long as you're in the house and it's, it's, it's reverse mortgage eligible. A term payment, as you say, I don't like that term tenure payment because it's smaller. Yeah. So I want instead the, the of the line thousand, of credit, yeah. the line of credit's better. Write a check when you need it, basically. Yeah. Right? Or yeah. a term payment where you can just have, hey, I want two thousand dollars a month, direct deposited into my account. The tenure payment was only thousand, so I need a little bit more yeah. than that. So I want two thousand, and maybe that's set up for fifteen years. And then yeah. once you deplete the reverse mortgage loan, you know, so you can kind of determine when that depletes, or you just set up the line of credit and uh, take the money as you need it. It's really just a draw request form you use uh, that comes in the mail every month and it just, it, you send it in, you request the amount you want and they direct deposit it into your checking account or savings account of choice. Yeah. And that, that transfer happens within five business days. So it's fairly liquid. But the benefit of that line of credit, we can probably touch on this now, is when you set it up a relock, a reverse equity line of credit, it grows income tax free. So, and right now it's growing at around 5% on average. So for someone who's, let's say, let's use an example, Mike, they have a 400,000 valued house and let's say they're 70 years old, they might be able to borrow 50% of 400. That's the equation, 50% based on their age. So they got a $200,000 line of credit. They don't use it. Next year it's 210,000. It grew at 5%. And that $10,000 increase is not taxable because that line of credit is ultimately a loan. And Social Security does not identify loan proceeds as income. So it's not part of their adjusted gross income. So it's growing and it's liquid and it's unborrowed. So it's, it's a lot of benefit to having that line of credit set up. And in my opinion, if folks want to stay in their house long-term, Mike, that's another question, they're entering retirement and circuit, everything lines up perfectly, they should set it up earlier rather than later because it gives that line of credit a longer period of time to grow. Maybe they don't want to even touch or think about this line of credit for 15 years. Better to set up a $200,000 line of credit when you're 62 than 72 uh, because you got, you've lost out on 10 years of growth, you know, yeah. 5% on the 200,000 versus going to set it up 10 years later. Um, and start out of the gate with a much smaller line of credit then. So Yeah, David, we're coming up in a break, and I want to I continue okay. on the equity line of credit, but I, I want to make a comment before we take a break. Um, the, getting back to the folks uh, who would... Uh, you know, who don't have a mortgage, who would use this for extra income. I, I'm going to make a generic comment. I've seen, I, I've met and worked with many folks over the years, but uh, a num there's a percentage of people who paid off their mortgage at the expense of building up their nest egg. Okay, and those people, they could probably, because they got rid of their mortgage payment, they could probably survive in retirement, but probably not have much fun. And so, so I, I can imagine some folks who paid off the mortgage having this uh, a reverse, a relock, a reverse equity line of credit there available. And, and my guess is 
that, that a number of those folks would use it for some of the finer things in life that they, you know, that they couldn't pay for vacations or gifts to grandkids or whatever. They could survive, uh, and that income would probably be used for kind of fun things and and, and rewarding things. Yeah. So just another just another way of looking at it. You yeah. Know? No, I have several clients yeah. that specifically took one out for that reason because yeah. their kids told them to do that. Yeah, yeah, because they, back. yeah, they're, they're surviving, but it's not much fun in retirement and what's yeah. the point sort of a thing. Right. All right, folks, we're going to take a break. We'll be right back. <laughs> 